Sports Day in the D. John out here back with you. Let's get into all of it. I know it's Valentine's Day and we're going to get up with all of that stuff and talk about Valentine's Day as well. I want to lead into anything that has nothing to do with love here as we talk about the Detroit Pistons. Everybody seems to hate on them. Maurice Cheeks is out after 50 games and it's been a short-lived part for him as the Pistons head coach. There's a few things that I want to get into and we can talk about it. It's uh, John Ott and uh, Facebook.com slash TBU Gunslinger. You can get at me on Twitter at John Ryan Ott. I want to know what you think. We're going to talk about the roster lineup and then we're also going to talk about who do you have to keep and who are you going to part with. I know that's going to be a theme that we'll also get into with the Lions, but I need to do this as the Pistons head coach as well now that Maurice Cheeks is out and the rest of this lineup. Who do you keep and who do you get rid of? There's a few things I want to discuss with Maurice Cheeks before we go on to the interim head coach and everything else. As far as Maurice Cheeks' record as head coach, I'm going to give you the fuzzy numbers here from 2003 to the present. We're going to go over this really quickly. So Portland for a few seasons, starting from 03, he was 541 and 41, and then he was 22 and 33, and then he was let go. The Philadelphia 76ers head coach Maurice Cheeks numbers looks like this. 38 wins, 44 losses. 35 wins, 47 losses. 40 wins, 42 losses. And then he was fired in the subsequent season, 9 wins, 14 losses. And the one season at Pistons head coach, 50 games in, he finished 21-29 and and then was subsequently uh, canned. So... My take on Maurice Cheeks was, as I seen him as an assistant in Oklahoma City with Scott Brooks, never really seen him do anything. As a head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers in Portland, never really seen the guy coach. And that's one of the things, especially now to see locally, watching some of the Pistons games, I have the benefit of having an NBA League pass, which is you get what you pay for, it's a great service. But you can't watch the games locally here with the Pistons, so I, you know, I gotta watch them when I come home or if I'm at work or anything else. If I can catch some of the stuff on ESPN or whatever else is going on, check it out. You never really see anything with Maurice Cheeks in terms of being able to get up, move around, and coach. He always seems like he's very lost. He never has anything to say after the post game, and he just doesn't look like he's a head coach or the type of the want to be a head coach. So I don't know where any of this is coming from. He's been a great player when he used to play with Charles Barkley and the Sixers and Doc J and all those. He was great as a point guard. But as a coach, looks lost, doesn't give any quotes, doesn't provide any movement, he doesn't seem like he plans. And maybe this has something to do with Joe Dumars and the fact that the the Pistons have already been through five coaches since Larry Brown and all that, and I get it. Not everything has been so great, and hell, you could even argue that the Pistons should have kept uh, Rick Carlisle, who is, seems to be a great coach with the Dallas Mavericks. I thought he was a great coach when he was here, but he's also gone. And what do the Pistons do next? So they need a coach, so they go ahead and they uh, have interim head, uh, head coach now, John Lawyer, and the first game that you saw with him if you see it locally around here, was when the Pistons played against the Spurs on Monday night, uh, Lawyer was pretty much up. He was jumping around. He was clapping his hands. He was yelling at his team. He was shouting out signals. He was trying to run plays. Everything else that was going on in the, the players, I know you can say they positively respond after maybe one night because of a new head coach. So maybe you throw that all away and you say, the, Pist- the Pistons benefited because Kawhi Leonard wasn't in the lineup. But then Jamie Samuelson in uh, 97 won the ticket. You know, he's the, the free press writer as well. He also talked about there was injuries 
to Tiago Splitter and Manu Ginobili. And I honestly, I gotta say, are you kidding me with that? Because Tiago Splitter got paid like forty-five million dollars in the off-season, big waste of space in my opinion. And Manu is pretty much a guy that comes off the bench all the time. I know he's still pretty good from time to time, but the guy's getting older. I don't expect to get that same production from Manu Ginobili. What I do take from it was the Pistons were almost up thirty on the San Antonio Spurs. I think they ended up winning by eight points. They played well. And Tim Duncan and Tony Parker still played. They weren't on any minutes uh, allocations as far as Greg Popovich likes to do. I know he likes to keep their minutes down, but they were still playing the entire game in terms of what their normal rotations were. That was a big-time win for the Pistons, especially since the Spurs have the second-best record in the Western Conference behind Oklahoma City Thunder. So as far as I'm concerned, you can, that's just a bunch of crazy talk. There's one thing I want to get to you here that I was glad that I did the show a day later because I found something on one of the uh, basketballrealgm.com websites, uh, article by Sam Yip that says, easy first step for Pistons to build around Andre Drummond. I just want to read this to you very quickly. It's not very long. You can uh, take with it what you will, but let's get to it right here. So an article by Sam Yip, realgm.com. A lot of the stuff that I see him write from the other stuff is Lakers, Lakers, and why the Suns have been such big surprises. And I got a chance to read a little bit of that before, or almost all of that, as I went before he prepped for the show to see what he would do. And he has a lot more depth and some good stuff to say about the Lakers and the Suns. But as far as the Pistons, I'm concerned, I don't think he brings a lot to the table. But that's maybe because the Pistons don't bring a lot to the table for anybody to watch. But here we go. This is what I want to give you word for word from Sam Yip. He says, One week before the All-Star break, the Pistons became the first team to fire their head coach by dismissing Cheeks this past weekend, just 50 games into his first season. Comparable to the preferential treatment Washington Redskins owner Daniel Snyder gives to Robert Griffin III, there have been reports that describe Drummond as being very close to Pistons owner Tom Gorris. Drummond and Gorris communicate every couple of weeks about things, the player said, and seeing the franchise player unhappy probably doesn't go over well with the owner, Dave Mayo of MLive reports. Within a couple of days, Gorris was in southeast Michigan, and the process of the dismissal began to take shape. Despite the Pistons' spending spree this past offseason that resulted in the additions of Brandon Jennings and Josh Smith, the centerpiece of the franchise clearly remains Drummond. The Pistons need to immediately begin surrounding Drummond with the right system that suits him best. One of the main culprits that have hindered the offensive efficiency of the talented roster is the pairing of Drummond and Greg Monroe on the court together, along with Josh Smith at the small forward spot. Smith is a natural power forward that is being forced to play on the perimeter and becomes an inefficient shooter, known more for his slashing ability. Smith posts a below average 12.4 PER of the small forward while giving up an above average opponent PER of 17.9. At power forward, he posts a strong 17.6 while only giving up an opponent average of 15.2, and that's player efficiency rating, PER. There's a few more things. Like many traditional big men, Drummond best fits when he's able to take up the paint himself and spaces the four for shooters around him. Since Monroe is a back-to-the-basket player that likes to post too, it does not allow Drummond to fully utilize his skill set to dominate the paint. 
Moreover, as a big man at the professional level, it's more important that they can protect the rim. Monroe does not fit that bill as he failed to average even one block in any season in the NBA. Given the unproductive numbers of this trio and the fact that Greg Monroe is a restricted free agent in the upcoming offseason, it would make sense to deal Monroe for a more traditional small forward. Then this would allow Smith to slot back to the natural position at the power and give the new front court of Drummond and Smith a shot-blocking tandem that would terrorize the rest of the league. So that's what he goes on to say. And he makes some good points about Andre Drummond. I don't think anybody disagrees with that. But at the same time, I don't think he's bringing anything new to the table in all respect to Sam Yip. And I'm not going to sit here and badmouth the guy, but I want to bring a few things to the table. In terms of all of that, you can get at me at John Ott, John Ryan Ott at Facebook or John Ryan on Twitter, excuse me, on Facebook.com slash TBU Gunslinger. Let me know what you think. Talk about this rest of the Pistons lineup here. And the two guys that I would keep. Andre Drummond and Greg Monroe. I don't think Sam Yip clearly understands, as far as I'm concerned, that the Pistons are not ready for a perimeter small forward shooting with the way that this uh, team is constructed. Because Josh Smith, we know that he can't shoot threes, and I've already been on the air talking about it before, that he was already setting a record for the most threes ever shot for one season for himself, and he's only like a 24% three-point shooter, and it really doesn't make any sense. And I get all of that. He's he's already way on pace to shatter all of that stuff, and it's going to happen. But as far as Greg Monroe is concerned, Greg Monroe is still 23. I know he's not very athletic. I know Sam also talks about the fact that he doesn't average a block in any one of the seasons, but he's still a double-double guy in every night. He could be almost every night. He got 14 points per game this year with nine rebounds a game, two assists and a steal. I like the way Monroe passes from the post. He's certainly able to do some things, and I still think not being that athletic, getting a steal per game at the power forward position is beneficial. The only thing I don't like that Monroe does that some people talk about, I know that's discussed here, and I I completely agree with that, is I think he takes too long to go ahead and get into his up-and-unders and his moves. He He shows the ball too much, and he gets a tendency to get like three and a half turnovers per game sometimes to just take too long to go ahead and get into his move. But at 23 years old and being a high-character guy, I think that's something that you need to go ahead and keep, and I can't harp on enough. And let me get into the rest of the stuff with Drummond, and then I'll tell you what I mean. Drummond right now is second in the NBA in double-doubles. He's averaging well over 30 double-doubles right now so far in this season. He's only behind Kevin Love. And as far as those Taco Bell double XL nachos are concerned, I know it's a normal-sized meal for Kevin Love, but I also think it's a normal-sized meal for Andre Drummond because he could eat those all day long. The guy's a beast. He has a lot of speed at the center position. He is always in the top 10 or 15 within these couple seasons with one and a half steals a game. And at center, I think that's incredible numbers. 13 points per game, 13 rebounds. He's got two blocks a game. Drummond has done everything that you could ask for for this Pistons team so far. And I honestly believe it was an insult for him not to be in the All-Star game. I know I'm not the biggest fan of Joachim Noah on the Chicago Bulls, and I know that he's a good player. He hustles on defense, but sometimes I think the dude just gets a little too crazy for no reason. I know he can play good sometimes, but sometimes he's just an absolute dog. 
And I know he's got the national championships in Florida, but from time to time he doesn't always give his best effort. And he can considerably sometimes, if I would want to say this, just bitches about calls. And it's just not something that you want to have happen. For a heart and soul guy, there are certain times when he takes you know, his mind off the game of basketball, and I just don't think that happens. That's not one thing you've ever seen from Andre Drummond or Greg Monroe. And as far as you can say about Monroe, I know he doesn't have the athletic size as we talked about, but it's not for the lack of trying. The dude's been given his full, complete effort. I've given you the real GM article. Let's get into the rest of this. With the rest of the team here, you got Chauncey Billups, Will Bynum, KCP, Gigi Detome, Josh Harrelson, Brandon Jennings, Jonas Drepko, Kyle Singler, Peyton Siva, Tony Mitchell, Josh Smith, Rodney Stuckey, and LOL, Charlie V. So here's what I say. I, I made my case with Andre Drummond and Greg Monroe, and I talk about them being high-character guys. I think the Pistons have to keep both of those guys. I know Greg Monroe is going to be a restricted free agent. Pistons got to pay him and keep him on this roster. As far as the rest of these guys are concerned, who do you keep? I want to make the argument, before we even get into this, that the high-character guys and everything else should matter. That's why I was very frustrated that uh, Brandon Knight was let go in exchange for Brandon Jennings. I know it seems... When you look at it, when the trade happened, that the Pistons got just as young of a player and maybe got a little bit of a steal to get Brandon Jennings over Brandon Knight because he had a couple of years in the league. He had a time when he had 50 points in a game. He can put up numbers and do what he wants to do. But the guy's a knucklehead. And Brandon Knight, I know he wasn't the greatest point guard in the world, but he was a legitimate three-point shot. The dude was like a Craig Hodges for the Chicago Bulls when MJ and Scotty and all that were playing. Dude was a considerable outside shot. I know his numbers in Milwaukee are down, but that's just because the team has only won nine games so far this year. They are going to get the first pick in the draft if they win those lottery balls. But the Pistons have brought in guys from that trade like Brandon Jennings. They signed him for a few years, and then you bring in Josh Smith. You sign him for four seasons. Josh Smith got a lot of money. He got about $55 million. I gave you the exact number the last minute of the show. And Brandon Jennings is making some money as well. As far as I'm concerned with the Milwaukee Bucks, there was a reason why they didn't sign Brandon Jennings. It's because they knew he wasn't going to stay there. He's going to get paid somewhere else, and somebody's going to have to just fall in love and get him. And I think with Tom Gorris, the one problem I have with him being the GM here is he's in a win-now, win-now mode, and you got to make the playoffs. And I know fans are not filling the seats of the Palace and Auburn Hills, and for good reason. The team sucks. I get it. I understand all of that. But it's a process that you have to build the right way. And I know the Pistons have always been trying to build, and they've gone through five coaches, and the mistake of getting rid of Chauncey Billups the first time, having him going to Denver to get AI, and the mistake of Darko Milicic, we've gone through that time and time again, and there's no need to retread all of that water. I get all of that. But getting rid of a guy like Brandon Knight to get Brandon Jennings in here and signing Josh Smith to put them in between Drummond and Monroe, those were the three guys, Knight, Drummond, and Monroe, that I would say never bitched about anything. They wanted to give full effort, and they were sick and tired of losing. Those are the high-character guys that you want to build with and that you would keep at any cost. And now that one of them is gone, I think you have to keep Drummond and you have to keep Monroe. I don't want to cater to guys like... Brandon Jennings and Josh Smith, and the reason being this. All these guys were always unpredictable. With Josh Smith, 
I don't buy also. I've heard in this fact, too, that because Josh Smith is playing the power forward position because Greg Monroe is there, and he's there because, you know, he's not versatile, doesn't have a lot of range, not a lot of athleticism, so he's stuck there. So it makes Josh Smith the small forward by default, and at that small forward position, you're expected to be able to bomb some threes. So Josh Smith has the complete uh, leniency and uh freeway pretty much to go ahead and shoot as many threes as he wants and I don't agree with that for a single second my problem with Josh Smith is you are who you are you don't have to go ahead and shoot threes all the time just because you're at that small forward position you still play the way you play I know guys will go ahead and try to pack the paint but the Pistons still remain to be one of the top teams of inside the paint scoring. That's how the team is built. I think that's one good thing for the Pistons to be able to do, to be able to hang their hat on with the horrible record that they have. They're not even in a playoff spot right now in the Eastern Conference. But they make their, they make their game inside, and they should continue to do so. And just because Josh Smith is not the greatest three-point shooter, I don't think he's the greatest role model any person to be, and I know it's a basketball player, I get all of that, but he's not a guy you go ahead and build around. I make that example in terms of when the Pistons won the championship in 04. I know Joe Dumars still has his job. Maybe he'll be out in the off season. But when Joe D went ahead and pulled the trigger because Darko didn't work, and he got Rasheed Wallace, Rasheed Wallace was a complete knucklehead and in that same situation and all of the same vein that Josh Smith is. The reason why all that stuff worked at that time is because you had professional point guard in Chauncey Billups. You had Rip. He had two-time defensive player of the year in Ben Wallace. You had Tayshaun Prince, who was pretty good in his first couple seasons coming out in, the, in Kentucky. So everything else was working out the way that it was supposed to. The team was all set and ready to win. And all they needed was a missing piece. Rasheed Wallace was that guy. It's okay at that point to go ahead and bring somebody in to go ahead and try to win everything, but to go ahead and sign guys like Josh Smith and Brandon Jennings when this team is nowhere near ready to compete for even a playoff spot makes no sense because all you do is you talk about getting rid of guys like Greg Monroe to cater to Josh Smith to move him at the small forward position, which is the worst mistake the Pistons could ever make. You don't want to cater to guys like that because Josh Smith, if he could have got a contract anywhere else, he would have. You remember when he first signed here, when all the free press guys and everybody was asking him, why'd you sign here? Josh Smith was quoted as saying, this was my only damn option. No damn, but this was my only option. So that goes ahead and tells you everything that you need to know. That's the exact reasons why the Pistons can't cater to this guy, and they need to keep Greg Monroe. I know he's a trading piece, and maybe they'd be hesitant to do that because he's not super athletic, but when you got a 20 and a 23-year-old guys in the front court that can get you double-doubles every night, you got to be able to keep it. That's the one thing that the Pistons have. As far as the rest of the stuff is concerned in terms of this lineup, I only am looking at a few names with Will Bynum being one of them, Kyle Singler being the other, and honestly, Will Bynum, I think he can do some of the same things that Rodney Stuckey can do. I like when he's out on the floor because he doesn't forget about who he is. He hits mid-range jumpers when he needs to, but he mainly just goes to the rack and he gets guys like Drummond and Monroe involved, and I like that. And as far as Kyle Singler is concerned, I don't want him being the small, starting small forward, but this is where he's placed right now. He's a guy that you can bring in off the bench that runs well off screens and cans threes. And he's a high IQ player that knows who he is. 
But as far as the rest of the team is concerned, I talk about it with, with Billups. KCP's a rookie, so it's a, that's a wash there. But Gigi Detome, Harrelson, Jonas Jarepko, Peyton Siva, Tony Mitchell, Rodney Stuckey, Charlie Villanueva, all these guys can go. As far as Rodney Stuckey and Charlie Villanueva, then they're in the last years, and they could be traded in this upcoming deadline here. We'll see if that happens because expiring contracts are always sexy to other teams. We'll see if they're here. If they're here next season with the Pistons, then they completely just crapped in their diaper because there's no reason for them to be here. I mentioned the only other guys I would keep are Will Bynum and Kyle Singler. KCP is going to be your starting shooting guard whether you like it or not. Hopefully he can end up panning out being that guy that can go ahead and bomb me some threes and be a good perimeter defender because I don't think he's a bad one. I think he could be a decent pick. But everything else as far as I'm concerned with the Pistons... It's all crap. The rest of the team's not good. You keep Drummond, you keep Monroe, you keep Bynum, and you keep uh, Kyle Singler. That's about it. As far as I'm concerned, the next coach that could come in here for the Detroit Pistons or what they should do, I think Joe D is probably going to be out of here, but the next best thing that the Pistons could do is instead of going through this coaching carousel, in order to get the guys that you want, sometimes you got to go ahead and overpay. When I look at this Pistons team, it reminds me a lot of the Denver Nuggets because they can get up and down the floor and do all the stuff they want to do. I think if George Carl still wants to coach, I'd happily overpay him $15, $20 million. Go ahead and coach this team. I don't agree with all the sentiments and the fact that I know the Pistons need to overhaul, but even if they overhaul, the coach wouldn't matter. Yes, the coach would matter because the Pistons haven't had a good coach. The last good coach they've had was Rick Carlisle. They mistakenly let him go. Every other coach has been garbage since they've been here. So if you get a, a dude like George Carl, would have won even more championships if he wasn't going up against Michael Jordan when he was in the Seattle Supersonics. He's one of the best coaches that we've ever had in the league. It would make sense to overpay him and get everything all figured out. So just a couple more things and then we'll go ahead and break. What's going on after the All-Star break as far as the Pistons are concerned? Immediately you look after it after all this stuff. The Pistons have a critical back-to-back home-at-home with the Charlotte Bobcats. And I know that sounds funny because it's the Charlotte Bobcats, but they're sitting in the eighth seed. So if the Pistons really want to make the playoffs, they have to sweep the Charlotte Bobcats in the home-at-home. The reason why I think the Maurice Cheeks fighting was good is because he was a horrible coach. And the reason why I say the John Lawyer interim tag couldn't come at a worse time right now before we end this segment is because the Pistons will finally figure out who they are. And because it's the Eastern Conference, they'll probably get a fifth or sixth seed. They'll get in the playoffs as long as they can avoid Indiana or Miami as a fifth or sixth seed, because they would certainly do that at that point, they could win a playoff series against any of these teams. Talking about Brooklyn, Charlotte, uh, Washington, any of that, I can see the Pistons winning a playoff series. So all that would do was make the situation a whole lot worse for the Pistons that have no business of trying to make the playoffs because they're not going to get any better. One of the best drafts that you could have since LeBron James in 2004 with Wade and Bosch and all of that would be the worst time for the Pistons to make the playoffs and was one of the things that I was completely pissed off about when Brandon Jennings and Josh Smith came here because I said, damn it, 
now the Pistons will finally, and the Eastern Conference has been so bad, make the playoffs. And because of all of that, will lose out on a high pick in the draft that could go ahead and change things around. If they get a good coach and just retool this team a little bit, get rid of all these other guys that don't matter, keep Monroe and Drummond, and then you just have to work around Jennings and Smith. Maybe you do some things going forward. I wouldn't do it this season because they'd probably win more games. I don't care how much money Josh Smith is making. Go ahead and bring him in off the bench at the power forward position. Go ahead and move guys over. So that way you have a starting lineup of, let's say we do it like this, you do Brandon Jennings, uh, KCP, Kyle Singler, Greg, Greg Monroe, and Andre Drummond as your starting lineup. And then off the bench you got Will Bynum, Rodney Stuckey, uh, whatever, whatever else you want to do, Josh Smith, and then uh, maybe Harrelson or whoever else you want to put in. The small forward you can throw whenever, wherever you want, whether it's going to be like Gigi or Jonas or whatever. Do it that way. Bring Josh Smith in off the bench so he doesn't get in the way of Monroe and Drummond. That way he can do all his things at the power forward position. That's something that the Pistons need to experiment because they signed Josh Smith. I think that makes the most sense. To have him be in that starting lineup and have him jack threes at the small forward position, all that does is take more touches away from Monroe and Drummond, and they're not exactly high-quality shots for Josh Smith as we've been over with, so it just ends up hurting the Pistons more. Go ahead and play like crap for the rest of the season. Explore those possibilities in the offseason. That's your complete Pistons outlook. When we come back in from the break, we're going to talk about the Detroit Lions, the moves that they made, and I'll let you know about my radical plan. This is John Ott, Sports Day in the D. Sports Day in the D, John out here back with you. I know that was a very passionate Pistons segment, but it is time for me to move on. Now, they always say that I'm not the most knowledgeable guy in terms of the NFL and all things football, but I think that there's a few things to get into. So let's get into it. I know Louis Delmas and Nate Burleson were released as far as the Lions were concerned, and I don't think that should come at any surprise because the Lions saved about $13.5 million on that camp hit. The moves that I want to discuss the most are the moves that have already happened in this offseason. Talking about the new coach and Jim Caldwell and the new offensive, defensive, and quarterbacks coaches. Everything else that was brought in with Jim Caldwell, I think, was a just reactionary move to what the Lions not getting Ken Wisenhunt. They didn't get their guy. They knee-jerk reaction. Nobody else in the NFL wanted Jim Caldwell, but the Lions ended up signing them because, well, hell, it's the Lions. So... All of his numbers weren't great. He took a Colts team with Peyton Manning, was able to do a little bit. I believe he got into a Super Bowl, but that was about it. That wasn't his team, and it was because of Peyton Manning and all of that. I understand that. It's Peyton Manning. It's one of the best quarterbacks we've ever had in the NFL. I know everything else happened with the Super Bowl. It was a horrible game and all that stuff with him, but the legacy outlook and all of that, Peyton Manning is Peyton Manning. Jim Caldwell had nothing to do with that. Peyton Manning is an offensive, defensive quarterback's coach and everything else. He is the coach. As far as Jim Caldwell is concerned, he made some pretty... Crazy comments as far as I'm concerned, but something that the Lions really want to hear is that they wants to be able to contend for Super Bowls and he wants to do whatever he can to make that happen. As far as offensive, defensive, and uh, coordinators, you got new ones at that. And the quarterback's coach, I don't know what a kind of name Jim Bob Cooter is, but he's the new quarterback's coach for the Detroit Lions. And he just sounds like a country bumpkin. I don't know anything about the guy, but with a name like that, I pose the question to you. Uh, you can get at me, John Ott, Facebook.com slash TBU Gunslinger, and at Twitter at John Ryan Ott. 
if Matthew Stafford didn't want help in the offseason to work on things like the sidearm throws and everything else like that, what can a quarterback's coach with the name of Jim Bob Cooter do anything to influence Matthew Stafford to try to change his ways? Because I, I don't see anything happening in that regard. So you got your new coordinators and you have the Lions releasing Delmas and A. Burleson. This gets me to the critical question that I want to ask everybody out there. Because I don't want to be sitting here talking about all that stuff. The Pistons, all that stuff needed to be said. But the Lions, you guys need to enlighten me. Let me know what you think here. With the contract situations, and this is what I'm posing here. The contract situations with Matthew Stafford, Calvin Johnson, and Adama Sue. You can't afford to keep all of them. Megatron is getting paid just ludicrous money, but as far as I'm concerned, if you're a Lions fan, he's the one guy that's deserving of all of the money that he's getting. Matthew Stafford, too many turnovers last season. The Lions started 6-2, and two and they finished, what was it, 1-7, and 2-6? and six. They, they sucked in the second half of the season, but that's just something that they usually do. They don't have any depth. And Adama Kinsu, I think he's a great player. I know all the distractions and everything else don't sit well with a lot of fans, but I can't sit here and say that Adama Kinsu is a bad player because he really is a great player. He's a playmaker. That was the exact opposite of what Louis Delmas ever was. I know the Lions were better with Delmas in the lineup, but with the exception of last season when he was healthy, all the other seasons, it was a fact of when he was in the lineup. So I'm posing to you, between Stafford, Megatron, and Sue, you can't keep them all. Which one are you going to get rid of? I think this question is easy to answer. Maybe you have a different opinion but in my opinion, it's Adamic and Sue, and it's because one thing, I know he's incredibly effective, but at the defensive tackle, I think that's not a position where the Lions or maybe any team with the exception of maybe Ray Lewis in his prime, that you can go ahead and say that you would keep a guy for that much money at that position. I think the Lions have way more pressing needs to go ahead and fill other holes because when you think about one thing and you say about the Lions always fall apart in the second half because even with John Kitna, I believe they started 6-2 and two, and then they completely fell flat on their face and they didn't make the playoffs in that season. With all of that, I think the Lions have so many pressing needs and that just shows me that the Lions always have a lack of, lack of depth and that's something that could be corrected if Adamican Sue was let go. With Jay-Z in town, and him signing Adamican Sue with Rockefeller Records and Jay-Z and all that, Jay-Z is a very bad man. And pretty much what he's going to do is he's going to go up to the Lions, he's going to present them an offer and tell them to bend over, and the Lions are pretty much going to have to take it if they want Adamican Sue. And if the, the Lions really want that, then I think that they're taking the coward's way out. That they say Sue's a great player, we're just going to go ahead and ride it out and figure out everything that's going to happen. I don't think that's the best course of action for the Lions. If I was the GM of the Lions right now, I would consider getting rid of Adamic and Sue. Whether that means cutting, I think that that would be bad. I think you could trade Adamic and Sue and take some kind of cap hit because I think somebody would give you at least a first-round pick for Adamic and Sue. There is a team out there that would take him. Adamic and Sue is a good enough player to get a first-round pick for. That you go ahead, what, do you suck on like a $15 million cap hit or something like that this season? And you figure things out then. I think Adamic and Sue is the one guy to let go 
between Stafford and Megatron. I'm not a huge fan of Matthew Stafford. Everyone always says he's the greatest quarterback the Lions have ever had, and I always say that that doesn't mean much because the Lions are such a horrible franchise, never even been to a Super Bowl, the only team in the NFL to ever do that, and he's just a pathetic quarterback. I think the one thing you can say, maybe pathetic is a little bit too harsh of something, but I would say all the numbers that he gives you are false because you say, yeah, well, he throws for over 4,000 yards and you fall in love with him, but all those numbers are false because the Lions can't effectively run the football. So the guy's throwing the ball pretty much 55 times a game and he's getting those 4,000 yards. Those are false numbers. With Megatron, earlier in his career as a line, he said he didn't do all the stuff he needed to be to do to be an elite receiver, and now I don't think there's anybody in the league that says Megatron isn't the best receiver in the league, because he really is. My radical plan, I know this is not going to fly with everybody else, and they can probably boo me off the air, but this is why I got a radio show. You can go ahead and make yours if you got different opinions. And you can go ahead and get at me at John Ock. Facebook.com slash TBU Gunstone or Twitter at John Ryan Out. Let me know what you think. The uh, Brian Sanders, who was brought in last season for the Detroit Lions, was the guy to go ahead, in my opinion, to make some of those moves to help out Lions GM Martin Mayhew figure out who to draft in the last offseason. And that this is the first time in my life as a 26-year-old that I can remember that nobody was upset about who the Lions drafted. I didn't know who Larry Warford was, but he turned out to be a pretty good player. All those other guys turned out to be pretty good. The Lions had a pretty productive rookie class. Everything else that was brought in was pretty great. Still in the offseason, Brian Zanders went to go interview for the Miami Dolphins general manager job. So that tells me even with all the Richie Incognito stuff, he still wanted to go there. Miami was in complete shambles, but yet that's still a better job to take than the Detroit Lions. That doesn't surprise me in a single bit that he would want to go ahead and do that, but that also tells me that now that he's back, the Lions need to do everything they can to go ahead and fire Martin Mayhew, in my opinion, and bring in Brian Zanders. Because if he's the guy, Brian Zanders, drafting all these guys, it was such a great draft last year that if you go along that same road and you make some changes, maybe things could be good. And especially if you're looking for quotes around here in the local spot, Martin Mayhew barely sticks his head outside the window. I I never even see this guy go to public events, talk, or anything else going on. He just doesn't do it. So, Brian Zanders, that would be a good thing. As far as my radical plan, I think getting rid of Adamican Sue for a first-round pick, at least, isn't as radical, but I think that's something that's needed to be done. As far as the radical part, I tell Matthew Stafford to go kick the curb. I know that the Lions are stuck in the same situation with Stafford and Megatron and that old rookie agreement in terms of the paying these guys as much money as they're picked about Matthew Stafford getting 125 million all that and a 57 million dollar extension I get all that that's bad timing because if it was just a year later Matthew Stafford let's say if it was just a year later and the Lions got Stafford he'd only be making like 15 20 million and that's it not 145 something ludicrous like that tell Matthew Stafford to go away just cut him or do something else I know that's not what you want to hear because the Lions aren't going to win as many games, but you can't afford to pay that guy that much money when I don't think he's going to be the one to go ahead and get you into the promised land. Go ahead and draft a quarterback. Figure something out. You got backup quarterback for a reason. Go ahead and use him. 
as far as Megatron goes. He's the greatest receiver in the NFL right now to this point, and I understand and love him as a, as a Detroit Lion fan. Not really a fan, but just love watching him. He's the greatest guy that you could ever have at that position. But I tell Megatron to go somewhere else as well. Go ahead and get a ring. Don't be stuck in this horrible organization. Don't end up doing the same things that Barry Sanders did when he just flat out quit on the team and said, go to hell, I don't want to deal with this stuff anymore. Same thing is going to happen with Megatron. I know you pay him that much money just to make him stay. If he wasn't making that much money, Stafford and Megatron and Dominican Sue and all those guys would be leaving. Lions are paying way too much money to Adamican Sue, paying way too much money to Matthew Stafford. As far as Megatron is concerned, maybe I would just get rid of Stafford and Sue, keep Megatron, because I think Megatron, of all the money that he's making, I know it's a crap ton of money, and I know all that, I get all of that, but he gets so much production, he would be the one guy in the league that'd be worth to pay $140, $150 million that Megatron is getting. I think the rest of the stuff that you do if you're the Lions, you go ahead and you hire Brian Zanders. You don't care about what happens to Louis Delmas and Nate Burleson. I think that that was smart to do. I don't know about all these other coordinators and the coach. I don't think that's going to make a difference. I don't think Matthew Stafford's going to want the help. That's why I say kick Stafford to the curb and kick Sue to the curb. Because otherwise, what you're going to end up doing is restructuring Adamic and Sue's, Calvin Johnson's, and Matthew Stafford's contract every other year just because the salary cap has hit you so bad with all these contracts. you got to make a radical move. Trade Sue for picks. Get rid of Stafford. And if you got to keep one, keep Megatron. If not, my opinion, get rid of everybody and start over. I know that's not what you want to hear, but the Lions suck so bad. That's something that they need to do. If they've proven within this rookie season that they had a good rookie campaign for all these guys that they brought in, do more of the same, continue to draft well. Unless you're a team like the Seattle Seahawks that was able to get all this dead money with Sidney Rice and uh, Percy Harvin, who didn't do anything until the Super Bowl, that had $26 million of dead money. But the reason why they've done so well is because they drafted Russell Wilson and all these other guys that they got in the mid-rounds. They drafted well and built a great organization. And I think it would help more for the Lions to go ahead and build on defense rather than concentrate so much on offense because it's not going to win you championships. It'll win you games. Defense is what's going to win you championships. And the Lions desperately need to start all over. When we come back in from the break... We're going to talk about Tigers as pitchers and catchers started reporting, and we're going to end the show with a little bit of discussion on Valentine's Day. This is John Ott, Sports Day in the D. Sports Day in the D. John Ott here back with you for the final segment. We're talking Tigers and we're talking Valentine's Day. No, not all those things always go together, but I don't know if this segment's going to be long enough to not combine both of these. So it's been a good show so far. Let's get into the rest of it. you got pitchers and catchers reporting for the Tigers, and... Some of the things now as you talk about this season that's going to be starting on March 31st, where are you at on this year's team? Because there's a few things that I want to think about, and I don't know if it's always the most positive aspect. I'm not exactly the most positive person. I'm quickly to point out all the faults in all the teams. And when something good happens, you know, I would say I'm not surprised, but that's just kind of the personality that I have. When you when you look at these things, you got to try to look at it more objectively and think about some of the things that you got to do, and that's what I believe I try to do, even though sometimes I'm pessimistic. But let's get into it. There was a lot of losses in terms of player movement in the offseason for the Detroit Tigers. You talk about Omar Infante signing with the Royals, Johnny Peralta going to the Cardinals, 
talking about the move of Prince Fielder that I think needed to happen, but he went to the Texas Rangers. And now, with Prince Fielder, he seemed to be losing a little bit of weight, and I think that's only because now that he's in Texas. So if he continues to be like 260 pounds, dude's probably going to die on the diamond there. So you need to go ahead and figure things out. Got to make him lose a little bit of weight in order to keep him productive. The uh, Tigers also lost... Doug Fister, and they have to figure out what they're going to do with Max Scherzer, whether or not they're going to keep him for the rest of the season or trade him at the deadline. So there's a lot of things. Tigers lost a lot of depth. The only thing they ended up picking up was uh, Jose Iglesias, which I think was it was a good thing to have. And then I guess the only reason that that would happen to be rumored to be that obviously El Garcia was the guy that was banging Prince Fielder's wife, so that's why he was traded to the White Sox. I'm not sure if that was a rumor or not, but I know we always saw those uh, articles out in uh, the internet lands and all that. I get it, but I don't I don't know if that's actually true or not. As far as the Tigers are concerned, Nick Castellanos is finally going to come up, and he's going to play third base. And Miguel Cabrera is going to go back to the spot where he's better at first base anyway. And here's a few things that I would like to say. As far as Prince Fielder, I know that he wasn't the most liked guy in terms of the playoffs. I think everybody gave him a free pass in the regular season. Didn't care that he hit. If he didn't hit 300 or didn't get like the the 40 bombs, even though I wanted him to get 40 bombs because the dude can just generate so much power. But he he didn't do that. And his nonchalant way of reporting and just saying. After the game, well, I don't listen to what the fans say. I just go to work and go home and all this stuff. I, you know, I, I don't like all those comments and all that stuff, and Prince Fielder needed to be moved. But at that same time, as I say, him going into Texas, I know Texas or picked up the rest of the seven years of that contract. The Tigers only had Prince for the two of the nine, but he's going to hit 40 bombs in Texas. Texas is more of a home run hitting ballpark and the reason why he's got to lose that weight is because what we already mentioned and it it makes sense there and I get all of that but Prince is going to be productive and the Tigers are going to have to deal with that and the part of the reason why Miguel Cabrera won these triple crowns whether you like it or not is because of the production of Prince Fielder having somebody able to hit behind the guy I know Miguel Cabrera is an absolute beast he's the best hitter in baseball I will not take that away from him he's absolutely deserving of everything that he gets but Prince Fielder was a reason of that and it's going to hurt me a little bit as a Tigers fan especially that since Prince Fielder is gone I don't think the Tigers will do that well Johnny Peralta all of the stuff that happened with the PEDs or the selling and all of that you know, it wasn't that good, but when we came into the playoffs, Johnny Peralta was the only damn guy that was hitting because Miguel Cabrera, I can't blame him for anything. He got hurt. So that's stuff that happens. But Johnny Peralta carried the Tigers as far as they could get to. They ultimately couldn't get past the uh, Red Sox. They did beat Oakland again. I know Oakland's sick of the Tigers, but they could have had a two-game lead until Ortiz hit the bomb and all that stuff. All that stuff was chronicled. But the Tigers are not the same team that they were. A team that I thought could go ahead and compete and win it all for the World Series, and if the year before that if Victor Martinez didn't get hurt, I think the Tigers would have won the World Series. Now with all of those losses in the offseason in terms of those players, I don't think the Tigers are going to be as prominent. In terms of being the favorite in the AL Central, it remains to be seen. I know everybody likes to make fun of the Kansas City Royals, but they were one of the best teams in the second half last season. I don't think much of the manager in Ned Yost, but I do like some of those players in there. It's not Billy Butler, it's Eric Hosmer, 
and all those dudes in there, Perez, all that, I, those guys are good. I think that team is good. They could be good on offense. They're pretty athletic when it comes to the field. They could be a scary team for the Tigers to play. The Tigers don't ever seem to play well against the Royals, but they never seem to pan out for an entire season. Whether or not they will, that remains to be seen. I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but that's something to put in the back of the mind. And as far as the Indians are concerned, they have the better manager now. Jim Leland's out. Terry Francona was a good manager. He was able to bring that team into a, a playing game. They ultimately lost to the Tampa Bay Rays, but the Cleveland Indians did pretty damn good themselves, and they were able to get some production out of Ryan Rayburn. Sure, more than hell than ever what the Tigers could get with that guy, because Ryan Rayburn sucked here, but he was good in Cleveland. You know, he was a guy that went hot and cold, but he seemed to play pretty well in Cleveland. So can Frank Cona continue to build upon that same thing? The Tigers like to build themselves with a lot of power arms. I do like the fact that they got Joe Nathan. I think that makes a lot of sense there. Is Bruce Rondon going to be that setup guy? Who else is going to go in there and figure things out? Is it going to be Jabba Chamberlain? I'm not too thrilled about that signing, but they didn't pay him that much money. So Joe Nathan, I think, is a complete bonus, even though he's over his 40s now. I think he's still one of the best closers in baseball. I think that that helps the Tigers out a lot. Maybe that can be enough, because I don't think that Joaquin Benoit got the credit that he deserved, because everybody wanted to get rid of him after he gave up the bomb to David Ortiz, but a lot of people seem to forget that Jose Valverde did a lot of that same stuff when he was the closer. They didn't want to get rid of him until the end, and Joaquin Benoit did a pretty damn good job up until that playoffs point, especially for a team that was going in. The Tigers had no closer last season, and now they finally got a legitimate one. So what are your thoughts on the Detroit Tigers and everything else that are going on now that the pitchers and catchers are reporting? Are the Tigers still the favorite to win the AL Central? And the last thing I want to get into for today is this is the last segment of Sports Day in the D. This has been good to be back here with you, John, on here with you. And the 2-14-14 show on the early, early morning of the Valentine's Day. Do you do anything special for your guy or girl, or is it just a bunch of BS? And the reason I say that is, I know that Valentine's Day is supposed to be the day where you go ahead, supposedly show that you love the person that you want to be with, or whether it's your boyfriend or girlfriend or your future husband, wife, whatever. It's just one of those things. In my opinion, if you're really going to go ahead and try to do that for one day, that's just going ahead and trying to get that and get a booty call. I, <laughs> I firmly believe that. If you really want to end up being with somebody... You're going to like spending time with them and they're going to know that you love them and know that you care about them. If you try to do all that stuff for one day, it could be nice to get all that stuff in for one day and both of you guys feel good, but for the rest of the time, you know, it just, it just doesn't do much for you. Anything heart shaped, I don't think matters. Chocolates don't matter. And if you want to get like roses and all that stuff, if, go ahead and try to get it on the same day, Valentine's Day now, and it's just, the most expensive thing you can ever see in your life, because if you go ahead and you keep those roses in there too long, they're just going to fall apart and all of that stuff, and they're not going to be wanted. So do you do anything special on Valentine's Day, or is it just a bunch of BS? I'm on the side of that if it's just a bunch of BS, and if you really want to be with somebody and care about somebody, then you just go ahead and you show them that, and they'll know that going forward. So that's what I feel about it. How do you feel, and have you ever done anything special? This is John Ott signing off for Sports Day in the D. We've had a great show, talking Pistons, talking Lions, talking Tigers, 
and talking Valentine's Day as well. It's been great to be back on the air. Some of the future stuff that I got going on, I know we always talk about the basketball website, and I got uh, blogs from time to time at 360slams.blogspot.com. You can get at me that way. Check out some of the latest musings and writings. Always at the uh, Oakland Press at MI Prep Zone, taking the calls and getting the stuff in there for the website. As far as upcoming shows are concerned, I'm sure we're going to be talking about Pistons trade deadline acquisitions, if there is anything, and more Tigers news as it comes forward. And when all the Olympic stuff is done, we'll be getting into some Wings news as well, as they're sitting in that eighth seed right now in the Eastern Conference. So I believe if they were a little bit more healthy, they would be in better spots. Uh, basketball play-by-play is going to be uploaded as well. Just finished uh, a Tuesday game between the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Portland Trailblazers. It was a great one with KD and uh, LaMarcus Aldridge and Damian Lillard. I'm going to do one from the following day. It's going to be another Trailblazer game, but this time it's going to be Clippers as uh, Chris Paul is back with Blake Griffin taking on LaMarcus Aldridge. So if you haven't heard that one and you want to hear that one, uh, stay tuned because I'm going to be posting that on uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash gunslinger where these shows will be posted, or at yourlisten.com slash gunslinger has all the stuff in the database, databases for Sports Day in the D. So let me know what you think, and all the coverage will be out there for you. So this is John Ott signing off for Sports Day in the D. Have a great Valentine's Day. Have a great weekend, and stay safe, everyone. Peace.